Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Today, we are covering the really, really exciting topic of quarterly taxes. And this is an important one, yes, for if you are a business owner or aspiring to be a business owner and want to be a financial coach, this is something that is important Mm -hmm. for you to better understand so that you can make sure that you don't get uh, screwed over come tax time, that first or second or third year that you are in business. So yeah, this is something just to give a little personal note. My first year as an independent contractor, I knew that quarterly taxes existed, but I just wanted to bury my head in the sand and not really address them. I was making like 30 grand a year in New York City. And I was like, I don't have the money to deal with this, so I'm just not going to deal with it. And funny thing, uh, the government was like, you're going to deal with this. So whether I wanted to or not, whether I decided to, or I decided not to learn about it, it didn't go away. So I think it's very important to yeah, it can be scary. It can be overwhelming. Not just the process of how do I actually do this, but setting aside the money in order to do that and pay your taxes. But the government doesn't really forget. So hopefully you can learn from what we share today to be able to confront that when it happens, know how to get started, how to go through this process. So you don't get like me bit in the rear end when tax time actually came through (laughs) and I had to pay those taxes that surprise. I still owed. Yeah. Yeah. And this, by the way, your experience is very common. I would say the vast majority of entrepreneurs get bit in the butt by this. Some of them, it's a bigger bite than others. I have clients who it took us three years to get caught up on taxes. Wow. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it snowballs. The penalties for one of my clients is $1,000 a year. You don't like spending money, probably a good thing to avoid. And it can snowball and it can get worse, especially if you're not in the habit of it, because you think, oh, as my business grows, I'll have more money to be able to pay the taxes with. But if we're not in the habit of doing the things that we should do, as your business grows, the painful dollar amount just gets larger and larger and becomes a bigger and bigger problem, right? Yep. And of course, if you're having the difficulty of a growing business, that probably also means that you don't have a lot of time to add one more new habit to get yourself into. (laughs) So better to start early and rather than, you're right, when things are already really busy and hectic, trying to play catch up. So where do you want to start? Good question. I think, I mean, we could start in a couple different places with, does everyone have to file quarterly taxes? Uh, yeah, let's do that. That sounds like fun. <laughs> cool. And then I think we can get into you know, kind of the, how do you do it in mm-hmm. terms of like, where do you file? Can you do it online? How do you actually send the money in and what that process looks like? 
and then yeah. maybe get to you know some helpful tips around setting aside the money on an ongoing basis so you don't get to the end of the year and you're like, ah, oh, crap, I wasn't saving money proactively. And so yeah. how to actually like tangibly do that. So let's start with the rules and then we'll start and then we'll go to the practicality of it. Okay. Perfect. So the rule is you are required to pay taxes on your income as you earn the income. Okay. Right. That is technically the rule. And is um, you like an individual, an LLC, a partnership? Anyone, everyone. Okay. You earn a dollar, you've got to take a couple quarters out, drop it in an envelope, and send it off to the IRS. Right. <laughs> Sounds um, efficient. Then they add a little line at the end of the rule, but at least quarterly. <laughs> right. So everyone hangs their hat on, but at least quarterly. Yeah. So naturally, we do this through our holdings at work. Every time you get a paycheck, you have a withholding that comes out of your taxes, which means literally when you are an employee, a W-2 employee, you pay taxes when you earn the income. Because literally, in fact, technically, you paid it before you got it, (laughs) right? Good point. Because the company sent, the, the day they sent the money to you, they sent the money to the IRS as well. Right. So it literally happens at the same time. 1099 people for financial coaches who are running their own businesses, entrepreneurs, you know, pass-through entities, partnerships, all sorts of other things that don't have a W-2 relationship with their company. You're going to need to do it at least quarterly. And it literally is very straightforward. Your first quarter payment, January, February, March. So mm-hmm. April 15th kind of lines up, right? <laughs> And then just count every three months and then the 15 days after that. And basically the 15 days after that is to give two weeks to close the books, figure out how much you earned in that quarter, and then send off the, do the calculations to send off the taxes. So basically you close the quarter and send off the taxes. Cool. The rules with regard to do you have to pay withholdings are kind of threefold. Number one, estimated taxes are required if you earn, if you're going to have a tax liability of more than $1,000, right? Most everyone is going to have a tax liability of $1,000. It doesn't take too much money to get to that tax liability. Okay. The next is you have to look at your total tax payments from all tax payment sources, right? So we're going to apply this to you have a job and your financial coaching business on the side. Cool. If your withholdings from your job are going to equal at least 90% of the next year's tax liability, then you do not pay estimated taxes. Now, the obvious question that you're probably going to ask is, how do I know what 90% of my next year's tax liability is going to be considering we are in the middle of the year and I don't know how the rest of the year is going to go? Took the words right out of my mouth. Which I say, that's why the 90% number is not very helpful, right? <laughs> um, I actually have clients, we do the 90% number, but it is a lot of work yeah. to be able to accomplish that. An easier way is if your withholdings are 100% of your liability, of your tax liability from last year. Okay. From the previous year, right? So from last tax filing. Now, there are some provisions which are, if your income has changed such that, or your situation has changed such that 
we know that 100% would not be anywhere near 90%. You doubled your income as an example. You, you can't really use that 100% rule. That makes sense. But generally speaking, for most people, you know, slow growth rates, et cetera, et cetera, you're probably going to be okay with that rule. So therein lies the function of do you need to pay estimated taxes? For most people, unless your business is really, really small, you are probably going to need to pay estimated taxes. Now let's talk about how to do it. And actually, go, yeah, go. Yeah. This, we may get to this later, but talking about how much to set aside. And I know that there are technical calculations for that and there are rule of thumbs. So maybe just yeah. talking about, do people go for calculating it perfectly? Do people go for good enough? You know, err on the side of caution in the first couple of years, maybe just some of those yeah. practical steps would be helpful. Yeah. Let's tackle that at the end. Cool. Because I think people will, it'll be helpful for people to know which path they're going to take to get there. Because there are two paths that you can take. Cool. Path number one that you can take is the path that currently I'm taking. And that is, I have a few different businesses. I also have my W-2 job as a professor and my wife is a partner at a law firm. Right. So we've got two sets of W 2 style jobs. And so I don't pay quarterly estimated taxes currently in my business. And the reason why is because I have adjusted our withholdings at work to cover the W, the estimated taxes that we just basically lowered our monthly income from our jobs uh, by sending more money that we otherwise need to to the IRS to cover this, this tax liability, right? Got it. So I don't pay estimated taxes because my withholdings at my job are over withholding to the level that I need in order to have covered the estimated taxes for each quarter. Got it. And so that's one of the ways that you can go about doing it. It is an extra step, right? It's a little bit more work upfront to figure out what that change in withholdings is. But the advantage is I have to do that extra step at the beginning of the year based on a projection, and then I might need to adjust it mid-year based on how the projection is going. Mm -hmm. But I don't have to worry about going through the process of closing my books, filling out the forms, and everything else that I have to do on a quarterly basis. Yeah. And for me, that's a worthwhile, I'll take two things that I have to do that's a little bit more work rather than have to remember. Remember four things throughout the year. For sure. And is that something yeah. that a person, and this may be getting too much into the weeds, but I know that you're married and have two kids. So you do, like, you could claim more deductions. So, like, someone, like, would that be possible for someone who already had a fair amount of withholding and was, and, and I guess it depends on like how much their return was or how it's much you, their your situation, was. unmarried, no kids. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Say, so I'm a perfect um, example of this. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, you can absolutely use it in, in your situation. Unmarried, no kids, no other major deductions outside of your business, right? Your business really is the driver of all of your deductions. And yeah, you can absolutely do this strategy, assuming you had a W 2 job. You could absolutely, absolutely do this strategy because you can, in addition to setting your deduction, your withholdings to zero deductions effectively, right? Deductions. You can say withhold this amount extra from every paycheck. 
So you just figure out how many paychecks do I have in a quarter? It's I have four paychecks in a quarter. I have $1,000 of estimated taxes I should be paying. So I'll just withhold an extra $250. And you would just ask, or I would just ask my HR department or payroll company to withhold extra and send it off to the government each paycheck. Yeah. You fill out a W-4 is is the form that you would fill. It's been so long since I've done that. I knew I could put my withholdings (laughs) to zero. But I'll be honest with you, people who have full-time jobs don't know what they don't remember what the W-4 was. It was one of the 900 pieces of paper that they had to fill out and sign when they got the jobs. So yep. yeah. Fair enough. Cool. And so you know, that is one of the easier ways to do it. And one of the advantages that a situation like yours would have is that it's honestly easier to calculate everything. Right. When you the more deductions you have, the more complex your taxes are, the harder it is to figure out that withholding amount. Because the withholding amount is basically just a somewhat simplified, and when I say somewhat simplified, I mean it goes from here to like there, right? Version of doing your taxes. <laughs> right? Gotcha. So it's not the more complex your taxes are, the harder it is to do the W two version. Uh, the simpler your taxes are, the situation that you described that actually makes it easier to do this. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, absolutely, a person could do that. Okay. So that's way number one. Uh, that's, that's method number one. Yeah. And, you know, depending on how, depending on your own personal situation, right? For, for us, even though our taxes are somewhat complicated, it's still easier for me to do it this way. For other people, you may say, no, I'd rather just handle the two things completely separate. I'll have my W-2 at work happening, and then I'll handle my quarterly estimated taxes over here. Got it. And then the quarterly estimated taxes are... The IRS is actually a very, very logical, the tax code is a very, very logical organization, right? So what form do you fill out to file your taxes? For me? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, 10, isn't it 1040? 1040. Yeah. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of other forms that you may have to fill out in addition to the 1040, but ultimately it comes down to- I was like, is this a trick question? Oh gosh. Oh no. And if you remember the version of the 1040 that is supposed to be, that was supposed to be super easy, you remember what it was called? <laughs> easy. Yeah, the 1040 easy, right? The version of the 1040 that is for retired people is 1040R. I see what they're doing. So the version of estimated taxes is actually 1040. And the first two letters of estimated taxes are ES. ES. Yeah. And so that's the form that you would fill out. And it, it doesn't look like a 1040. It's just literally 1040 is the tax form. And this is the ES, meaning the estimated tax form. Gotcha. Really comes down to. And so what it'll do is it will, there is a Part of it that basically says, just like your normal tax form, social security number, your identity, spouse, if you have one address, you know, that kind of basic thing. Then it's going to move into a, a worksheet for how much have you earned? What were your expenses in the business? Mm-hmm. Other things related to that type of stuff, like the, the actual amount of tax that you have to owe, if there are any credits that you're going to be claiming related to your business, it, it's literally like a minor version of the 1040. Uh, and at the end of it, it says for this quarter, this is what the estimated taxes are. After you kind of go through 
your adjusted income, your deductions, all the things that you normally go through for the 1040. Got it. That was not at all what I did uh, <laughs> or have done for most of the time. <laughs> so it's always interesting to hear like the different ways that can be that it can happen. Like for example, I had just heard, you know, like estimate a third of and I jumped and did it full time from the get-go. Right. Mm, so I wasn't right. doing the W2 route. So yeah. I had just heard, oh yeah, set aside a third of your income for taxes. And I'd calculated it. I think even back then I'd calculated it after deductions. So mm -hmm. I was saving more than I needed to, but I just signed up. So yeah, definitely more than I needed to when I made $24,000 in that first year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, saving 33%. A lot. Although you probably saved yourself from having to worry about the social security, which is completely different things. Correct. So and that probably helped you with that. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I just kind of. You still oversaved, but it, it helped. <laughs> yeah. And it was closer than I thought because I was in New York city. So having both the state and oh, the yeah. city tax. So it actually turned out to be better, you know, yeah. to do it that way. But I, and then I, I didn't even do that form. I think I just did the 33% signed up for EFTPS. Mm -hmm. um, and just sent them the money. I just sent was like, yeah. take my money. I yeah. don't want to calculate it. Just please, like, hopefully this is good enough. You know, and I did go online to a tax calculator for mm -hmm. New York and just said, hey, if I'm making around this much, right? And then doubled whatever the FICA taxes were mm -hmm. and then said, eh, it's like close. I should, you know, I'll be saving a little bit more okay. money. Yeah. Way. So I love our, the dichotomy. It's like you being the professor and all the, the technical walk through it. And I'm like, ah, close enough. You know, it looks good. Yeah. That's, that's how I'd kind of done it for the first few years. Yeah. The important thing though, is to get the money to the IRS, right? And this is a big mistake that a lot of, and I, I see this in blogs. I see this in books where they say, set aside 25% or 30% or some other completely irrelevant. It does not matter. You may be oversaving or undersaving because you can't give a number that's applicable for every person every tax situation based on their income and the other factors that are going on and every state that they're in. Because if you're in Hoboken, Wisconsin, that is going to be a very different state and local tax situation than in New York City. A hundred percent. Right. And the problem that I have is they say set aside 25%. Some of them will actually say set aside 25% in a savings. This is the big problem with this, which is you're supposed to pay your April through June taxes on July 15th. Yep. I don't want to confuse it with the annual tax filing, right? So you're supposed to pay your April through June taxes on July 15th. You set it aside in a savings account, meaning you didn't pay it. The IRS never received it. And that means that you have a late tax payment penalty and interest. And you're going to have one for every quarter. And it's going to add up because that you still didn't pay your first quarter in the second quarter. And you didn't pay your first and second quarter in the third quarter. And you didn't pay your first, second, or third quarter in the fourth quarter. And since you filed your taxes on April 15th, you didn't pay the entire last year until the second quarter of, of the current year. Yep. And those penalties and, and interest will add up. And just as a financial coach, you know, I think it feels crappy. I mean, it feels bad just as anyone running a business, but 
But I think especially as a financial coach, if you're getting your taxes incorrect, I think there also can be that feeling of, I don't know, imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. What am I doing? You know, I can't even get my own taxes right. So I think that's important to consider as well. Yeah. But I would also say for those of you financial who are financial coaches who screwed this up, because it's probably a lot of you listening to this that did. I did it. Um, yeah, yeah. Realize that. And, and this really both, I want this to be sort of a forgive yourself statement mm-hmm. and a um, and a statement of like understanding of the role of financial coaching. You are not a tax expert. That is not the role of financial coaching. And that is why you should be hiring a tax expert, an, uh, a CPA ideally, or an EA or, or a tax attorney, right? To help with taxes. And don't feel like, oh my God, I'm a horrible financial coach because I messed up on taxes. That's, that's not what you're doing. That's not what you should be doing. You should not be providing advice on taxes. And so it kind of is okay that you messed up because that's not the role of financial coach. It would kind of like a heart surgeon saying, oh man, I I can't perform dentistry. You're not supposed to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So it's okay that you don't know how to do dentistry, a heart surgeon. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. Because where that came from was my own experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just like, man, if I can't get this right, even when it wasn't really applicable, I still had those feelings come up. Yeah. And so you want, you want to both release those feelings because, you know, they're not really valid. Um, don't, don't place that on yourself. And you want to also, you know, use that as a realization of financial coaching is this area. And there are other experts that exist for reasons. Gotcha. This could come into the realm of something you can't answer, but Caroline had asked regarding the W4 withholding. Trick, uh, does that work if one spouse has W-2 employment, the other has the business, and they're married filing jointly? And then just a question of what if the business is an LLC? Does that change anything? Yeah. So let's start with the marriage thing. As a married couple, you are one economic unit. I know that sounds weird. That is actually the technical legal definition in the the IRS code. You are one economic unit. That's funny. (laughs) And so what that means is when one spouse pays taxes, it is considered both spouse pay, spouses paying taxes, right? Yep. Um, which is why spouses can go to jail for what their spouses do, for the, the other spouse does Thanks. related taxes. It's also why there is actually a form in an entire area of the tax code about innocent spouse relief. And it is much more complicated than people believe. Right. It's not, oh, I didn't know. It's like there's a lot that goes into getting innocent spouse relief. And so, yeah, the W 2 employee can overwithhold that your economic unit of your marriage has paid the sufficient amount of taxes. And then on the side, she mentioned an LLC. So, a lot of the, I, I don't want to get into the details of LLC. I'll just more broadly look at the entity structure concept. Great. Realize that when you have an entity, there are some entities that have their own tax obligation, and there are some entities that don't have their own tax obligation. Let's say for whatever reason, your business is in a trust, right? Depending on the language of that trust, 
that trust may have its own tax obligation or not. Right. Okay. And I know I gave kind of a weird example. I just want to point out that it's not, it, it, you can't just say yes or no to this question. There's going to be some nuance to it. But if the entity, and we'll just go to C corporations always have this situation, right? So if the entity has their own tax obligation, such as a C corporation, the C corporation is going to have to do the quarterly taxes itself. The C corporation is not part of your economic unit, right? Because it's, it's, you're not married to the C corporations. It is legally something separate. And so when organizations have their own tax filing, partnerships are kind of this weird thing where they they have an informative filing, but not a tax obligation. But that still means you have to do the informative filing on a quarterly basis, et cetera, et cetera, right? So back to what you said about hiring a professional to help you to do this. Yes. It can yes. get complicated. Yeah. So if we throw in an entity, then... We may have a situation, notice I said may, depends on the circumstances, but we may have a situation where that uh, single economic unit factor kind of gets thrown out the window. You you and your spouse are still a single economic unit, but the entity may not be, meaning the business. Okay. So yeah, so that that's a great question, Caroline. Um, the, but yeah, you can totally do this with a spouse. And notice I said both myself and my spouse, we actually, we have our withholdings so that it's kind of coming out of both areas. And that makes it so that if we do end up switching jobs for whatever reason, uh, and we forget to redo with the withholdings, it's not, oh my God, we're behind the eight ball. It's we're only behind half an eight ball, four ball. I love it. So it, it's basically a diversification strategy on my part to, if we do make a mistake, we kind of have a, some firewalls to contain the mistake a little bit. Got it. Yeah. So it's more work. Right. Yeah. But, but you know, loss of balancing. I was going to say, it's kind of like insurance against a yeah. potential mistake. Yeah. So and there's we, nothing wrong with doing it. Any of these ways that we talked about. Yeah. And so we've talked about how to calculate it, at least going through the 1040ES, I think if I got mm-hmm. the acronym right. Yep. And then, you know, I had talked about sending in the money via EFTPS. And you had said, mm-hmm. yes, the actual sending in of the money is a very, very, very important piece <laughs> yes. of this. So EFTPS.gov is one option mm-hmm. to sign up for an account there and send it in electronically. What are other options if you know? Yeah, the other option is literally on the 1040 ES. After you go through the worksheet, they've got this little thing that is uh, your records. So basically, it's kind of like here is your rolling record of uh, what you paid each quarter, right? You just on the new order. Okay. <laughs> so that you've got that uh, and it just makes it a little easier. And then at the very bottom or close to the bottom, don't, don't quite remember. Sorry there are payment vouchers. Oh yeah. I remember seeing that for the California LLC tax. Yes. And it is literally payment vouchers for the forwarders. Great. They're labeled. I think they're labeled quarter one, two, three, four, but I might wrong about it. It just have the numbers or no, I'm pretty sure they have something on it that says which one is which. Um, I don't think the IRS would really care if you sent in the wrong quarter for the wrong uh, one, but yeah. And it's literally 
you fill out your, your information in it and you send in the payment voucher by mail with a check. Old school. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So like literally you can still do it old school if you'd like. Cool. The most important part of that website, by the way, that you gave mm-hmm. is the .gov part. Mm. Make absolutely sure it is the .gov part of the website. There are, if you do a Google for quarterly tax payment filings, mm-hmm. there are companies out there that will do it for you. If the company is going to actually do all of the calculations, all of the other things with it, everything, and then uh, you're going to pay them and they're going to remit the money, that is totally worth doing. Absolutely worth doing. If the company is going to basically have you fill out Form 1040 Yes on your own, estimate the taxes, and then they're going to send them to the IRS for you and charge you a fee for it, they haven't really done anything of benefit for you. <laughs> so, you know, just if you're going to look at services, what you should be paying for from a non government website or service, right, or company is that they're literally doing everything for you. You're giving them the information and they're running through the calculations. And uh, that is totally worth it. Gotcha. If I ever don't have W 2 jobs, then yes, that is exactly what I would do. Got it. And are there other websites do you know? Because I, I want to just put in the comments a link to EFTPS.gov, mm-hmm. but is that the only one? I feel like there may be ones, other ones as well that they can pay through, like directly from the IRS, but I'm just going with what I know. So there are other websites that are approved IRS services. I don't see any big reason to do it unless the company is going to do all the calculations for you. Okay. Um, And by the way, you don't have to go through a third-party company. If you have a CPA already that's doing your taxes, ask your CPA what their fee would be to do the quarterly taxes for you. Oftentimes, that can be a very relatively inexpensive way to do it simply because the work that your CPA is doing to to file the quarterly taxes, a big part of that can be reused to file your taxes at the end of the year. Right. Right. And so, yeah, it's going to be more expensive than just filing your taxes at the end of the year when you add it all up, but it may be cheaper than going through a company that does this specifically and only this. So talk to your CPA first about that uh, or your tax advisor first about that, your tax preparer, because it may be the cheapest option and it may also be the easiest option (laughs) right? because you don't have to gather documents for two groups of people. And for me, that's what... I will do whenever I switch over to it is have my CPA handle it all, mainly because I don't, even if it's more expensive, which it probably will be, I don't want to have to spend the time of gathering the documents and then gathering them all over again for my CPA. Gotcha. That makes total sense. Anything else that we haven't touched on yet that we'd like to? I think the big thing to to understand is that this is not just a federal requirement, right? Mm-hmm. So there, this requirement applies to your income taxes. It also applies to your FICA taxes, also known as your social security taxes, also known as your OAS.di taxes, also known as your self-employment taxes. All of those are basically the same thing. And can you this also applies? I was going to say, can you include payments for the yes 
in that, right? Sorry, I was like, yeah. oh, there are so many acronyms. I just got overwhelmed. FICA. Uh, FICA, <laughs> we'll, thank we'll you. Use that one. <laughs> I was like, OASDI. Oh, uh, that's right. God, I hadn't heard that for a while. But yeah, so you can include the FICA taxes in your quarterly tax payments to the government yeah. if you send it on that voucher or via EFTPS. Yeah. And the reason why is because the the IRS collects it on your behalf and will apportion it according to your filings at some point. They just care that they got the money. Yeah. Right. But there's also so FICA and and uh, tax federal income taxes totally two together. But we we also have state and local taxes, right? Right. So if you're in New York City, San Francisco, another state that has an income tax, that could also or a business tax that could also be things that you need to figure out what is the requirements. And many of them have the same requirements as the federal government. Got it. Good point. Thank you for making yeah. that. State lo- state governments love Control C, Control D. Right. Which we talked about from a, a regulatory standpoint, which were yeah. in terms of what states might do if they start to regulate financial coaches. Yeah. Or more heavily in the case of the states that are starting to do it. That are already doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's it, Josh. Yeah, I'm sure we thoroughly bored everyone. (laughs) (laughs) With very important yet boring information, we kind of apologize, but it's also really important. So, And we'll make sure that you don't get, again, nipped in the rear end like I did, uh, surprised at the end of your first year, which is exciting, except not when you have to owe money that you weren't expecting or you didn't plan for. So thanks as always, Josh. I just love these conversations and, and we'll be on next week as always. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. So you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, It also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. 